Well, let us pray as we prepare to hear the reading of God's Word and the preaching of it. Oh Lord, we come crying out to You that You might feed us with Your Word. Lord, You would teach us that Your servant would would lessen and Christ would increase and be magnified and that the Spirit would give us great unction in this very place. That He would teach us and we might better know and understand who our Savior is, the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would love Him better, trust Him more, and that He would be revealed that we might understand even more the infinite love that you have for your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'll turn your Bibles to Acts 26, Acts 26, we're continuing our sermon series uh, through Acts here, Christ Church in the mornings. Uh, As you're getting to Acts 26 in your Bibles and your devices, I'll remind you that... uh, That Acts is written to confirm the certainty that the Lord Jesus Christ is building His church. And we're going to slow down just a little bit. We've been moving moving kind of quickly through as we've been seeing this grouping of uh, Paul's defenses. As he's had opportunities right after one after another uh, to give a defense and a testimony, a witness of Christ in the midst of these settings, these trial settings. And we're coming... Uh, to really the last defense that is recorded. So we're going to s- slow down and, uh, and, in, and enjoy it, as it were. Look at the different aspects of this defense before King Agrippa. Particularly this morning, as I read, pay attention, uh, Paul is giving, as it were, his credentials to those, King Agrippa and those dignitaries that are together. He's uh, letting them know that uh, he is fully aware of that he, he is the right guy to be explaining to them uh, the gospel and who the Lord Jesus Christ is and what hope Christians have. Uh, he, as we'll see, grew up, was trained in the Jewish faith, even spent time uh, attacking and trying to silence uh, the Christians. And now he holds the very hope that he once assaulted. So we'll see that as we read now God's Word, Acts 26, verses 1 through 11. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, That according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made to God to the by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to obtain, as they earnestly worship night and day, 
And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often at all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them. I persecuted them even to foreign cities. The grass fades Flower falls, but the word of our Lord stands uh, forever. Amen. Amen. In God's good providence, uh, we have live in, we reside in a, a nation and which was established as a republic. If we go to the, the Constitution that our country was established upon. It, it lays out that we're uh, a republic, a representative government. We, the people, or the citizens of the nation are those uh, who uh, are, in essence, the power holders. Uh, and we elect, we elect folks to serve as the civil magistrate, and they go and, and do the business of the country. It's different from uh, other aspects of civil government. And one of the big differences is that our civil servants, those who get elected, those representatives, they don't rule over the people like in other systems, but they serve uh, the people. That's what we have established in the the Constitution. It's it's interesting. You can kind of see the parallels, though, there with Presbyterianism. What we see in the scriptures is as God has local congregations They vote and and choose men who then represent and serve as elders uh, and deacons. But back to back to the state, back to uh, the setup of the the republic. You know, history is is shown that republics often will begin to crumble and collapse. And then they move into a different type of form of of civil government uh, when they lose a few things. For us, it would be if, if the Constitution was, was eroded, washed away, and all of the rights of the citizens that are recognized in the Constitution were then just ignored and set aside. And then the other bedrock foundation for our republic that would bring it to an end, we see this in, like in the Roman Republic, would, would be the loss of the ability for the citizens of this country to to enjoy, believe in, and participate in just and right elections. So if you, if you can't have your own representatives, representatives elected and the rights that the Constitution gives can't hold forth, then the republic washes away. Those are the things that republics stand upon. Okay, it's an interesting civics lesson. What does that have to do with what we're talking about today? With Paul beginning his defense in this trial 2,000 years ago as he stands before King Agrippa and all the dignitaries you'll remember from last week if you were with us are assembled. Well, the connection that I, that I want us to see is the importance of the, the foundations upon which things stand and fall. Because as we look at these first 11 verses and, and we see the beginning of Paul's defense here, 
What I want us to see is that Christianity and your salvation from sins stands or falls on the resurrection of Jesus. That's the foundation that Paul is laying here in the beginning of his defense. That Christianity and your salvation from sin stands or falls upon the resurrection of Jesus. We're going to look at three things together. Paul grew up learning the hope of the resurrection of the Messiah. Paul participated in opposing the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul is now opposed for proclaiming the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the first thing we're we're looking at here, Paul grew up learning the hope of the resurrection of the Messiah. Paul is a well-trained Pharisee. He's he's very different from uh, the disciples, the 12 that Christ called uh, and were with him during his earthly ministry. Uh, Paul, he's the opposite end. He is one who was brought up through the system. He's gone to all the right schools, done all the right training, very knowledgeable. Uh, It's even even the, the Romans we see in this chapter, but also previous, they acknowledge how uh, intelligent Paul is and how he he knows not only uh, the teachings of the scriptures, the Jewish traditions, customs, but he knows also the philosophy of the the Greco-Roman world. He's a very learned, intelligent man. We've seen that throughout Acts. We see how God has, has used him and providentially the Lord had him acquire all of this wisdom training knowledge and then used it for the glory of the kingdom. Now, you read the Gospels, you see that the Pharisees obviously have some issues. Christ confronts them. But the one thing the Pharisees have going for them, or perhaps one of the things they have going for them, is where they came from. I mean, they came out of a concern for the scriptures and God's glory. The, this party grew up in the, within the Jewish tradition because they were concerned that the Greco-Roman world was going to overcome the Jewish people and wash away, as it were, uh, all of their understandings of the scriptures. Now we know that the issues they then went on to was to, to not just hold on to the truth and to proclaim it and believe it, but then they began to add their own little fences and laws. And by the time Christ comes, the Pharisees had taken God's truth and then piled a bunch of man's tradition on top of it that had to be waded through. But the people respected the Pharisees, setting aside the issues of this this man-made tradition they brought. They did love God's word. They believed the promises that were given. And though there was confusion of the gospel, there was still a high respect for, for this group. The Pharisees spent their time pursuing an understanding of God's word, the scriptures that had been revealed and given. And this is what... What Paul grew up in. You know, covenant children, Paul was not much different from, from your upbringing in, in the sense that he was, you come to church, he went to synagogue. Family religion was important. When questions were asked, it wasn't that his parents said, well, you know, what is the, what is the, uh, the idea of the day? What is it that we are hearing out of, out of Rome? But instead it was, well, what does God say? What do the scriptures say? This would have been the upcoming, the upbringing that Paul enjoyed. The means of grace were around him. He was seeped in these things. Uh, even as a, as a young child, 
What we can see in his testimony in the scriptures, his family moves to Jerusalem. And Paul spends time under uh, the famous uh, rabbi uh, Gamaliel and is trained under him. I mean, Paul is, if, if you think about it, you know, we even still today, there are elite uh, paths of education that are there for folks who each step of the way uh, reveal the ability to, uh, through their intellect or whatever it may be, to, to head that way. Well, Paul was that. Paul was like a draft pick. Paul was the, he was the one that everyone was looking for. Uh, he was a young, up and rising star within the religious Jewish leadership. So he isn't just some random guy that's been drug into here. So when he, he, he's giving his credentials to King Agrippa and those around him, he's, he's wanting to make sure they understand, hey, I'm not, just, I'm not just some guy who heard about this Jesus thing, got excited. Like, I know what I'm talking about. I am rooted in the promises of the scriptures. I have been trained since childhood, looking forward to the to the Messiah, praying for that the hope that we had that He would come. And so now, as I speak, King Agrippa, hear me. I know what I am speaking about. Paul understood the, the messianic promises of resurrection. As a faithful Jewish boy, he would have learned these things. He understood them. It was the the was the hope of all the things that were happening. Everything he would do and learn about, everything was pointing towards the coming Messiah. Young Paul would have understood, or should have, we can say should have, as he studied the Word, and God had opened his eyes to that. He should have understood the coming Messiah was God himself. We, we could have gotten that from, from Isaiah chapter 9. Reading verse 6 and 7, that would have become clear to him. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Hundreds and hundreds of years before God the Son comes and takes on flesh in the incarnation. And then Christ, Jesus, goes forth in his earthly ministry. Hundreds of years before Paul was born and then taken to Jerusalem and trained. On the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these words were penned. And Paul, just like all the other Jewish people of the day, could look to Isaiah and read this and see the Messiah who's promised. This isn't just going to be a, uh, another great David. This is going to be the God-man. God is coming to do these things. Even as he promises in Ezekiel and Isaiah, Isaiah in different places, I will come and care for my people in the absence of faithful shepherds. And young Paul should have been able to understand that, that the resurrection of the Messiah would happen, that this God-man, the Messiah, was going to die and that he would need to, to rise from death. This was something that must happen for the redemption of his people and that, that God was also going to resurrect his people. You remember, this has already come to play and as 
Paul was brought before the religious leaders and you had the Sadducees and the Pharisees and they're all kind of together against Paul and Paul in wisdom says, hey, hey, brothers, uh, what's happening here is I'm proclaiming the truth of the resurrection. And those guys over there, the Sadducees, they're saying that that's not true and that's why they're coming against me. And that was enough for the Pharisees to stand up and say, well, oh, yeah, that is true. There is a resurrection because the Sadducees denied these things. And he was able to split there. So we, he, he, we have a, an understanding of resurrection amongst God's old covenant people. But Paul, Paul could have, should have known. Turn to Psalm 16, read in verse 10. Psalm 16 all the way through. We'll just read verse 10 though. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. And look at this whole psalm as it comes together. It's speaking of the prophecy that, that the Messiah who will die, his body will not decompose and, and, and it will not go to dust like everyone else's body, but instead it will be resurrected. And then there's not just the promise of the resurrection for uh, the coming Messiah, but we go back to Isaiah and we see in, in chapter 26, verse 19, just one of many places in the Old Covenant where there's a promise for the resurrection of God's people. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Well, speaking of the resurrection and body that's to come, when Christ returns, when all are raised in the bodily resurrection before the judgment, and then we'll have those who have not been redeemed by Christ will go to hell, and all those who are Christ redeemed will, will then go into the new heavens and the new earth with our triune God. What we see is it's not a... A crazy thing that came up hundreds of years later in the medieval. This is rooted deep in Old Covenant scriptures. These are fulfilled promises that Paul was proclaiming and teaching. And this is what got him in hot water. And I think it was because many of these religious leaders understood the impact of what he was saying. If Christ truly is the one that fulfills all these things, then and we do see everything being flipped on its head. The new covenant has come. The church is exploding out. And they will no longer have what little itty bitty bit of power that they are keeping under the direction of Rome. And one of the beautiful things as you study God's word is the more and more time you spend in it, the more and more time you study it, and not just breeze over things, but seek to read and then understand the context of a chapter and then understand the context of a book and then understand the context of a whole genre of what the different books are and then you go all the way to the whole Bible and you read through these things you spend time by God's grace prayerfully studying you don't come to a, less, to, to, a, to a lesser understanding of the truth of God's word but instead the Lord reveals to you and you see the beauty of the the covenant faithfulness of God working its way through. That covenant theme going through the scriptures. And we see prophecies that are given and fulfilled. The hope that Paul has. We also see that Paul participated in opposing the hope of the resurrection 
of Jesus Christ. Paul, in the beginning, was, was unable to believe that Jesus was the promised Messiah. I don't know, as you're talking with folks, as, as you're, you're loving on them, as your neighbor, your family member, uh, as you're sharing the love of Christ, as you're witnessing Christ to them in word and in, in deed, and you know, I'm sure there's folks that, that you either have or you're in the midst right now as you're, as you're trying in all your human might, you're praying for, for God to open their eyes to the truth. You want them to understand it. And you, you're working, walking through the gospel or you're opening God's word to them and it just, it's just like going right over their head. You know, it's hard. That's, that's kind of what it, a point in Paul's life that he's talking about you know, prior to this, what we'll learn about next week. Uh, we've already seen in Acts part of when Christ comes and confronts him. But prior to that, prior to God saving Paul, he was, he was just, just like folks we talked to that, that we're praying for who it's almost like their eyes are just scaled over, their, their hearts are stone. They cannot hear for they are deaf to spiritual things until, as we read in Ezekiel, the, the Holy Spirit gives them a new heart of flesh that they then, at God's work, can understand and are redeemed. But Paul... I mean, you look here, Paul, what great proof that God is the one who saves. Paul, the, the, the attacker, the persecutor of the church. Paul, like a, like a pit bull that had been released to take down this new sect. It was Paul that God gave eternal life to. And then redirected his heart, redirected his nature, his love, and he just exploded on the scene and God used him in mighty ways that we've been reading through Acts that he might witness Christ plant churches be used to give us a portion of the scriptures as the spirit worked through him so Paul I think understood the significance of what these Christians were proclaiming and that's why he went after them so hard because in his mind he knew and understood that it that if Christ truly has been raised from the dead, then all the promises and hope that we've been looking forward to is seated in him. And then that would mean that Paul and all the religious leaders who hadn't already would have to repent and trust in Christ and accept him as the Savior. And Paul was not ready for that. His heart Stone, his eyes were closed. And as I mentioned, we, we have folks in our lives that we're interacting with, but particularly family members whom the Lord has not opened their eyes to the truth. And I encourage you don't give up, don't lose hope, cry out for them, storm heaven in your prayers. Pray, pray, pray that God would work and then be faithful. Share the love of Christ and the gospel. Do not give up. For it is not by your wisdom or might or cunningness that folks are saved, but it is by God's grace. So don't give up hope. Now, Paul was zealous to persecute the Christians. We see that as he's giving his explanation here, as he's laying things out. Uh, Paul didn't simply just think, hey, these Christians are wrong. Uh, I'm going to, from time to time, I'll leave some comments on my friends' uh, social feeds uh, when they post something, you know, Christianese or something from the scriptures and I'll kind of do something to, 
to laugh at them. Paul didn't you know, start a podcast and talk about all the, the foolishness of Christianity. No, Paul went to the religious leaders and was like, give me the authority. Give me the authority to go and dismantle this growing sect. Let me take on those who are following Christ. And then he even says to the extent as he's gone and he's, he's brought them back that when they were put on trial before the religious leaders that, that Paul... He said he was happy to vote for their death. So Paul was serious about this. His opposition to the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His persecution, we read in verse 11. Again, this wasn't something that Paul, when he got done with his studies, when he had a little bit of time extra, or it was convenient, he would deal with persecuting the church and attacking it. But what is it that Paul says? Paul says in verse 11 that it was a raging fury against them that drove his persecution of these Christians. A raging fury against them. His fury against Jesus Christ. His fury against those who would follow him. It consumed him. He wanted to destroy them. That's the level of opposition that Paul was part of as he attacked the church. And yet this raging, anti-Christian persecutor, this zealot, again, God saved him. And we look back and think, wow, Lord, what mighty things you did through this servant. May it encourage us. Regardless of the folks we engage with, there is no one beyond God's saving grace. And even when we deal with folks who come after us or perhaps are rude to us or make fun of us, particularly maybe children, you deal with, with folks who might rib you or mock you or put you down for trusting in Christ. And be reminded. Be reminded that Paul was, was brought to faith and many others like Paul. And then think, how should we respond? How would we respond to those who are, who are doing such things? I think Proverbs gives us a good picture. A good picture of what Christ tells us. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 21, 22. This is how the Christian responds. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For he will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. Remember what Christ summarized the law with. Love the Lord, your God. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love those who come after the church. And then we come to this, this final point. Paul is now opposed for proclaiming the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we, we see that Paul grew up learning of the hope of the resurrection of the coming Messiah. And then we see the opposition here in our passage that Paul had against those who held to the hope and the reality of the resurrection of Christ. And now we see Paul. Paul is being opposed because he's proclaiming this very hope, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But Paul makes it clear when we've read through these first 11 verses, he makes it very clear to King Agrippa and all those that are assembled, everyone that's there, he's making it very clear to them why he's been brought before them. And it's because he's believing in the hope of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, his gospel, and he's 
proclaiming that. He's witnessing Christ. And that's the opposition against him. And he knows, verse 6 and 7, you know, he, he says these things. I stand here on trial because of my hope, promise made by God to our fathers. And then he, remember he said King Agrippa was aware of some of these old Testament scriptures. He understood the things of the Jews. He, he's, he's making connections for him here. And as he goes on, verse 7, to which our 12 tribes hope to obtain as they earnestly worship night and day, and for this hope I'm accused by Jews, O king. He's saying, King Agrippa, you're aware of these things. What I'm telling you is the opposition that's coming against me is because all of our hopes, the promises, they've been fulfilled in Christ, and I'm telling people about it, and it's rocking the boat, and it's really upsetting the religious leaders there in Jerusalem. You can see that. And then as he moves his way through, we'll see that he's going to do all he can, humanly speaking, to lay the gospel out before King Agrippa and all the dignitaries that are gathered together there to see this show trial, as it were, that we talked about last week. Paul's already taken this defense. He's, he's taking the opportunity not just to defend himself, but he is beginning to lay out his witness. He's evangelizing the room. Because he desires beyond all things that they, as we see later in the chapter, might come to faith in Christ. That's what he wants to see. Paul understands the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Christianity is proven by Jesus' resurrection. Uh, Jesus' resurrection is proven by eyewitnesses. We read in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 3. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul writes this to the Corinthians, the church there. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, last of all, to one untimely born. He appeared to me also, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. If Jesus, Jesus hadn't risen from the dead and been seen, not just by handful of his, his followers, but by hundreds and hundreds of people. If these things wouldn't be done, hadn't been done to fulfill the scriptures, just as, as Paul writes in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, if these things hadn't happened in a public way, then all the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, and all the Roman civil leaders would have to do to get rid of this sect was simply to, to walk in and crush it. If the proof wasn't there, just to, to blow it away like all the other many cults and sects that came and went in the old Greco-Roman world. But that's not what our God did. He made it clear. He left a testimony. He left public witnesses beyond dispute. Paul's even saying, if you don't believe me, Christians in, in Corinth, there are folks alive right now who saw the risen Christ 
go to them. They'll confirm it. Not to mention Paul was confronted by the risen Christ when he was saved and redeemed. So for Christians, this this reality, this hope we have in the resurrection of Christ is important. It's a reminder for us that we are, dear saints, you are eternally secure. That we have hope, we've been given faith by grace as the Lord has redeemed us. But, But we don't hold to some of the in the same way many of the, the, the false religions and philosophies of the world where it's just an idea that people hold on to. We have a living Savior. A living Savior who's proven who He is. And having proven that, we listen to what He said. I know we have some folks who listen to us online and also, I want all of us to hear, but if, but if you're in a place where you're skeptical of these things, you're doubting it, people are being raised from the dead. Same thing that Paul's laying out here, he's saying to Agrippa, he's, he's saying, is it that hard to believe that God might raise someone from the dead? That God could do these things? That God who created all things, he could raise someone from the dead? But if that is hard, if, that's, if you're listening to me and that's a place where you're at, where it is hard to believe these things, I encourage you. I encourage you to go to God's Word and to read it. Not to simply listen to what people say about God's Word, but go to God's Word. Start with the Gospels. Read it. And cry out and pray, Lord, help me to understand these things. And then know that if you want to talk about it in the, the famous words of our culture, you have a safe place with me. I'm happy to talk over a meal or coffee. Let me know of your, your doubts. We can walk through these things together. So Paul grew up learning the hope of the resurrection of the Messiah. Paul participated in opposing the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul is now opposed to proclaiming the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we see in our passage, Christianity and your salvation from sin stands or falls upon the truth of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for salvation that we enjoy in Christ. We thank you for the fact that that we don't have a a faith that is standing upon the the single testimony of one person, of some event that happened privately. But instead, we have the reality and the truth of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ testified in history, without a doubt. So, Lord, we ask that you would pour your grace out upon us, that we might love you more, that we might believe our weak faith would be strengthened, you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.